Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I'm your host, Archie Mitchell, and ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, It has been a hectic week in the world of professional wrestling because we have got six quick hits to get through today and then our normal show review of NXT 2.0, AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. Um, Good wrestling this week, though, I will say that. Uh, just a quick um, note here. Uh, congratulations to the Usos on becoming the undisputed Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Champions as of this Friday night on SmackDown. A little bit of help from the Tribal Chief, Roman Reigns, but they did get it done. We have our first set of un- of uh, undisputed Tag Team Champions in quite some time. I'd have to look it up and find out exactly how long it's been since those belts were unified, but I will say this, um, the Usos, although I'm critical of them and the DUIs and problems that they've had in the past, they are by far the best tag team, actual tag team in the WWE. So I just wanted to say that out. Go ahead right there. Uh, Also, I was looking up uh, some things on Facebook a couple of days ago, and I got a reminder, uh, a memory of some sort from last year. And it has now been one year since... I debuted, if you smell what the arch is cooking here, on the We Can't Wrestle podcast and WrestleNet Radio Network. Um, I want to, again, thank you guys so much for the support, all that you do with the pages, all that you do with the shows, and especially right here on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. It is truly humbling and amazing. I talked about it a couple weeks ago when we hit episode 50 that I couldn't believe that I hit 50 episodes of anything. Uh, unless I was watching it myself on Netflix. <laughs> but uh, to know that we've been going one year steady is amazing. Um, and I guess uh, it goes without saying. Um, good things, you know, do happen uh, when you put your uh, work ethic into it, when you actually put your mind and your body and your soul into it. And that is what I feel that this podcast is, is that it's a good thing. Um Thank you, Martha Seward. <laughs> uh, you know, just a lot of uh, time goes into it. But the truth of the matter is it gives me time to myself to actually sit back and enjoy wrestling. Whether I spew about it and talk about the crap that's going on, it still gives me time to sit and watch and then vent to you guys once a week. I know we've taken a couple of days off here and there, but as you can see, We've made it to the one-year mark. So thank you once again, ladies and gentlemen. And enough with the blubbering, enough with the thank yous. I'm sure you could hear me say thank you all day, every day. But it is now time to get into our show. So go ahead and pop open your favorite frosty beverage. Strap in and get ready for the ride as I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling here tonight. Quick hit number one, the last time the WWE Intercontinental Championship was defended on pay-per-view was at WrestleMania 37. That is a bit of a uh, bad one there, folks. Uh, The Intercontinental title had so much prestige. I can remember a time when Hulk Hogan would go months without defending the WWF World Heavyweight title. 
And that was because, obviously, there was not a major pay-per-view going on every month. And in Hogan's absence, we would get guys like the old warrior, Bret Hart, um, you know, the honky-tonk man, Rick Rude, so many amazing wrestlers, the British Bulldog, Shawn Michaels, busting their asses and defending those titles on shows like Superstars and Main Event, Tuesday Night Titans. It's really just a through, through and through kick in the nuts to the Intercontinental title that we have not seen it on a pay-per-view matchup. Now, there is a gentleman holding it right now by the name of Ricochet, who, in my opinion, can once again instill that prestige if the WWE let him. There was a wrestler a few months, a year ago back, that was holding the title by the name of Shinsuke Nakamura, who could have instilled the prestige back into that title because the man has roots when it comes to an intercontinental title. That being in Japan, where he held the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. But, whatever the case may be, this title has been dragged to the waysides, and it has been since WrestleMania 37, since we have seen it on a pay-per-view card. Number two, Shelton Benjamin sidelined with injury. Uh, Shelton, I wish you a speedy recovery. You've always been one of my favorites. Your time in the ring with uh, Team Angle and Charlie Haas was one of the best tag teams I can remember seeing during the early 2000s. Your time alone, where you have become a United States champion and an intercontinental champion, your matches with Triple H, your matches even with Brock Lesnar, amazing. You are by far a human highlight reel. And I could think back, the, the biggest highlight I've ever had was the super kick you took from Shawn Michaels when you did a springboard and Shawn hit a super kick out of nowhere on you. Now, I know that wasn't something in his favor, ladies and gentlemen, but the the way he took that blow, the way he, he sold it, the way he's put over in every match is unbelievable. And I want to say I hope Shelton Benjamin is back healthier than ever and finally ready for a push again in the WWE. Number three, Ric Flair will wrestle one last match in July for Crockett Promotions. Now, there were rumors that the match would be against Ricky Steamboat or possibly a six-man tag with Flair and his team versus Steamboat and his team. Uh, Ricky Steamboat has since said no. Steamboat said he will not come out of retirement to face Flair and will think about another match for his uh, one last match. But Ric Flair, uh, although the critics, the fans, and everybody else is telling him, please, Rick, don't get in the ring because of your health and your safety, he's still doing it. Rick has gone on and said countless times during his podcast and other social media outlets that he is fine, that his hard doctor has given him the okay, and that he will be back in the ring on July, uh, I believe they said 20th or some time frame in mid-July, uh, to have his last match. I've got to be honest with you guys. I don't want to see this. I am a huge Ric Flair mark. I love Ric Flair. I've met Ric Flair. He is absolutely my A1 favorite wrestler. But I don't want to see this man who is almost 70 years old, who's had health issues, was in the hospital, was in a coma, dealing with all these other problems, step back into the ring. Flair says it's not because of the money, because his obviously uh, haters and negative uh, fans say that it's all about him making a cash grab. He says it's not about the money. He could make money off of Car Shield and Cameo and live a healthy life. 
He says it's because of his ego and his pride. And he refuses for his last match to be what he deems uh, a flop. He's not talking about the match with Shawn Michaels, obviously. He's talking about other matches that he had after that because Flair did not actually retire at WrestleMania 25. Uh, but in any indication, Ric Flair will come out of retirement. I hope, I hope that he is okay. And um, I hope that he gives us a decent match because if it's not, then it's not going to be something that I want to see um, on a con continuous basis. Number four, Eric Bischoff says CM Punk is the biggest waste of money in wrestling history. Um, didn't he spend millions on Bret Hart and WCW? And wasn't that a flop? Didn't he, um, by he, I mean Eric Bischoff. Didn't he give Hulk Hogan creative control? And then that end up being what ultimately buried WCW? Now, look, I realize that AEW is not pulling in a million fans every week. I realize that their ratings are... Uh, at a 750,000, 800,000 fan area. CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, did not do exactly what they expected them to do in the long run. But Eric Bischoff is one to talk. Eric Bischoff is slowly becoming like Vince Russo in that he spews a lot of hatred towards anything that he deems he didn't create and or have a part in. So... With that being said, Eric, I think, I think that you need to um, go ahead and step back. I think that you need to continue to do your podcast as it pertains to uh, the 83 weeks that you were beating WWE. Um, and I think you need to stay out of talking about um, current wrestling. Because when you do so, you do it from a place of hatred. You never have anything good to say about anybody. And people are slowly realizing just how, um, well, pissed off you are. So with that case, that being said, Eric, I do not think that CM Punk is the biggest waste of money in wrestling history. I'm sure there were bigger ones as well, even with the ones that I mentioned. I'm sure there's bigger ones than that. And in all uh, truth and honesty, <clears throat> I think that within time, Punk... Uh, Danielson and the rest of AEW are going to flourish and do even better than they are now. Number five, Stephanie McMahon to take time off WWE. Um, and at first when I heard about this, I was like, okay, she's going to go home, take care of her children, take care of Triple H, since he's been having some uh, illnesses and problems in the past few months. Uh, and I was like, she deserves it. She, the woman puts in a, a tremendous workload. And even though she's not seen on TV constantly anymore, uh, she'd still deserve some time off from her duties backstage. But then it came out the following day that Triple H is returning to the WWE uh, and taking on his day-to-day -day duties, although they've been changed slightly, and he's been renamed in the company. Um, still, she deserves the time off, even if it's just to go home and be with her children or to enjoy a couple of months or however long off. Uh, it's just now weird that with her going home, Triple H is coming back, it kind of begs the question, are they maybe afraid to leave Vince and Tony Khan alone? Uh, excuse me, Nick Khan, not Tony Khan. Nick Khan, Tony Khan's older brother, uh, <laughs> who keeps firing people like crazy from the WWE. Um, Nick Khan obviously has gotten in the ear of Vince McMahon. And if Stephanie were to be gone as well as Triple H, then that could cause some problems for them in the long run. 
Um, who knows? Could be a hostile takeover. Uh, could be just uh, Nick firing more people and making WWE presentable to more buyers. You never can tell. Um, but in any case, I hope that Stephanie has a good time on her vacation off from the WWE. And when she returns, she is reinvigorated. And we once again get to see the Billion Dollar Princess back on TV. And finally, number six. Sasha Banks and Naomi walk out of Monday Night Raw and change plans for the main event. Now, we've all heard about this. And this, in my opinion, is the biggest news story of the uh, week. Uh, Sasha Banks and Naomi were slated to wrestle in a six-pack challenge with Becky Lynch, Asuka, um, Dewdrop, and um, Nikki A.S.H. Well, they got to the arena. They heard about the match, and Naomi was meant to go over uh, against anyone. There was reports that it was against uh, Sasha Banks. She was going to pin Sasha and get the shot at uh, uh, new Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair. Uh, but whoever she was going to go over, because there's other reports saying she was going to pin Asuka. Naomi was meant to go over, and then Sasha was meant to start a feud with Ronda Rousey over on SmackDown. But they did not like that idea, and they walked out after having a meeting with Vince McMahon. Sasha and Naomi walked into the office of John Laronitis, handed him the Raw and SmackDown Women's Tag Team titles, and walked out. Well, since then, reports have come out that Sasha and Naomi didn't like the way the Raw and SmackDown women's tag team titles were being treated. They were not being given the respect that they deserve as champions. They didn't want to have to pin each other or go over one another or whatever. And they also didn't want to lose to Bianca Belair and Ronda Rousey. There were other reports stating that they were afraid of working with uh, women in the match for the Raw main event, which was the six-pack challenge. Some people say it was Becky and Asuka that they were afraid to work with from being dangerous. Others say that it was Dewdrop and Nikki A.S.H. Whatever the case may be, the story continues to unfold here, ladies and gentlemen. Sasha Banks and Naomi have now been suspended indefinitely. They have been stripped of the women's tag team titles. There will be a tournament to crown new champions. And there is talk of their contracts being frozen so that they cannot expire because they are both set to expire uh, in the next couple of months, uh, thus making them free agents. So the WWE is going to make them sit home without pay and basically show them, you want to walk out on us, that's fine, but you ain't going nowhere else. Uh, this is the one time I will say that I do uh, agree with the WWE in that they should not just let them stay at home until their contract expire and then go ahead and walk off into the sunset on either find a job at Impact or AEW or even in Hollywood. Um, Sasha is a tremendous talent. I think that she's great in the ring. I think that she is magnificent on the mic. But I also do think that she's a crybaby because this is already the second or third time that we've now heard of her going home and not being happy with her direction. So she just chooses not to work. Um, Naomi, tremendous talent, but not really much there as her career is going on in the WWE, so let them stay home, freeze those uh, contracts, and let's see what happens. Which one of them is going to be the first one to beg to come back? Uh, is Naomi possibly going to use her political power in that she is married to Jimmy Uso, and of course Roman Reigns is the tribal chief over on SmackDown? Um, could she possibly use him 
to get her back in Vince's good graces. You never know. In any case, in any indication, uh, these two women walking out changed plans. Asuka ended up beating Becky Lynch in a singles match and uh, is now going to be facing Bianca Belair. Um, like I said, I like both. I think they're both great talents. But I do think that Shasha is, Sasha is a crybaby and once again threw a temper tantrum and went home. So that's going to do it for Quick Hits. Here we go into our show review. And our first show, ladies and gentlemen, is NXT 2.0. Our show starts this week with highlights of what happened last week during ladies' night. We get inside the arena, and Carmelo and Trick make their way to the ring and cut a promo on Solo Sequoia and um, Cameron Grimes. It is now set for a tag team match starting right now. Sequoia and Grimes taking on Carmelo and Trick. Fast start with Melo and Trick trying to get the early attack, but Solo and Grimes countered. It turned into a great opening tag match from then on, with Carmelo hitting some nice high-flying moves and Grimes showing off his technical ability. Trick tried to intervene, but Solo caught him and landed a top rope splash to pick up the win within 11 minutes. That's how you open up NXT, folks. Take four of your brightest stars, put them in a match. McKenzie interviewed Pretty Deadly, and they're talking badly about the Creed Brothers. I still don't like these guys, and I still don't know their names, actually. Uh, we then hear from Thea Hale, who is apparently uh, a graduate of high school and just signed with the WWE. What the fuck, really? WWE signing 18-year-olds over here? Or is it college? Is this the NBA? Uh, we then go to Last Legend, taking on Tatum Paxley in <laughs> the Women's Breakout Tournament. Paxley tried, Legend botched, and then hit her finisher to get the win in 3 minutes and 40 seconds. This tournament has been a bust so far, ladies and gentlemen. We're from Tony D, Dimes and Stacks, or whatever corny mafia names they gave them. Uh, they do lines from mob movies and give a warning to Santos Escobar. Thrilling segment, folks. I hope this feud continues because I'm, I'm enjoying all of these vignettes and promos very much. Sarcasm at its finest. Things shift to a promo for NXT live events and then back to McKenzie, who's with Duke Hudson. Duke begins talking about himself and Braun Breaker comes through like a force. Breaker comes to the ring and is looking to deliver a message to Joe Gacy in the NXT universe. He tells Gacy to kiss his ass and turns down the offer to join Gacy's movement. Gacy immediately shows up with his druids and pisses off Breaker. Gacy wants another match and Braun says yes. The match is in NXT is going to be at NXT in your house. But if Braun is, gets disqualified, then he loses the NXT title. This really doesn't seem like the right match here because the first match didn't end in a DQ. Braun hasn't done anything to hurt himself in a match by getting DQ'd. So, I don't know. I'm still enjoying the feud, though. Indy Hartwell cuts promo, and she says she's finally on her own. She challenges Mandy Rose and says she's ready. You got a feel for Indy Hartwell, folks. First, the Garganos left her. Loomis and Parada were fired. This girl needs direction somehow, some way. Wesley is with McKenzie and learns that Zion Quinn is injured, but Wesley says he is ready whenever he returns. Nathan Frazier offers to take his place, and even though Lee is upset, he agrees. That should actually be a great matchup. Viking Raiders take on the Creed Bros second time around for these four, and once again, they didn't disappoint. Brutus and Julia showed why they are now uh, the best tag team in NXT and deserve a title shot. The Raiders continued their double-team abuse, and thanks to a miscue from Roderick Strong, the Raiders got the win in 15 minutes. 
I hope the Raiders stick around in NXT. Post-match, Diamond Mine are arguing, and the Creeds aren't happy with Rowdy. Santos, Escobar, and Legato are happy to have Cruz back, but Santos says he's going to make Tony D pay and do it on his own. Legato doesn't want him to, to go out there alone, but he assures them it will be fine. Also backstage, Grayson Waller tells Tiffany she's the best breakout star, and none of these girls can handle her. He faces Andre Chase next. The cameras catch up with Braun Breaker, a uh, Breaker about, and uh, his choice to accept uh, Joe Gacy's rematch is questioned. Uh, Duke Hudson repays the interruption from earlier, and uh, Braun challenges him to a match. Duke accepts, but for next week. All right, I'm intrigued. Chase Waller taking on, excuse me, Chase Andre Chase taking on Grayson Waller. Short but sweet, good match between Waller and Chase here. Both men came out swinging and showed off throughout this seven-minute match. Andre got distracted. Waller hit his finisher and got the win. Good going. For the first time since they debuted, I can honestly say I enjoyed both of these men in this matchup. Toxic Attraction, watch a pre-recorded video from Caden and Katana. Mandy Rose walks in pissed about Indy's challenge, and Gigi and JC joke about Caden and Katana's challenge as well. Mandy says it's time for them to put respect on the name of Toxic Attraction, and they're going to start with Indy Hartwell. We got go to the ring for Roxanne Perez taking on Kiana James. This is another breakout star tournament matchup. Perez is slowly becoming the best part of the women's division, and I've never seen James wrestle before, but by the looks of things, I didn't miss anything. Roxanne hits a code red and gets the win in four minutes. Uh, Malachi and Enoff are making fun of Santos and Tony D, and it's actually pretty funny. Uh, Dimes and Stacks cuts them off and make a challenge for next week. Next week should be a good show, too. Mackenzie is interviewing Roxanne Perez, but Cora Jade comes in to congratulate her. Electra Lopez then interrupts and has some words for Perez and Jade, and her opponent next week, Alba Fire. I think Electra is going to get burned, ladies and gentlemen, pun intended. Wesley took on Nathan Frazier, an insane high-flying matchup that resembled a car wreck within the first couple of minutes. But out of nowhere, Von Wagner attacked and caused a double EQ. Wagner took out Frazier and then murdered Lee by throwing him out of the ring and into the announce table. Ouch. Sangha offers a word of encouragement to Wesley and Frazier in the back, but Lee is pissed and challenged him to a match for Get Ready next week. And then we go to Santos Escobar taking on Tony D. It is our main event, and this was an absolutely incredible main event with both men going to hell and back. Tony D, D used some nice ground moves, but Santos relied on the sky. Top rope, Hunnicon Rana was sick, and Tony D showed heart kicking out. Tony went for the tire iron, but Legato had it, and this brought out dimes and stacks. Santos hit Tony with a loaded fist and got the win in 14 minutes. The weeks of terrible promos was worth it, ladies and gentlemen. The match was the best I've seen in NXT in quite some time. We then go to Joe Gacy and his druids, who promised to take the NXT title from Braun Breaker and not just take over NXT, but the entire world. I'm giving this week's show a four out of five. The women's tournament is trash, but everything else was perfect, and I really enjoyed it. Moving on to AEW Dynamite. We go straight to the ring, and we will find out who the Joker is for the men's Owen Hart tournament matchup. Here comes Samoa Joe, and here comes the Joker, Johnny Elite 
a.k.a. John Morrison. I'm honestly disappointed in who the Joker was, as I was expecting Johnny Gargano. In any case, both Joe and Morrison had a great match, but a bit short. Morrison hit his neckbreaker and a weird-looking 450 splash, but Joe got the knees up on his split-legged moonsault. Joe hit the muscle buster and got the win in eight minutes. I wanted more, but still, still good. Post-match, Lethal and company attacked Joe, hitting his arm with a lead pipe. The best friends chased them off, and Joe was left in pain. We go to highlights of Hardy and Allen, uh, Darby Allen from last week. Lexi interviews Jeff and asks her how he's doing after last week. The Young Bucks come in and ask Jeff if he maybe should take the night off and think about his family because he's a little old to be taking those kind of bumps like he did against Darby. Matt and Jeff tell the Bucks that they'll never be as good as them, and Adam Cole has an ass-whipping coming to him later tonight, courtesy of Jeff Hardy. Now, want to interject here real quick. I believe that the Young Bucks are a little better than the Hardy Boys in that, well, they don't get into any trouble. They have yet to be uh, tested for drugs or alcohol. They don't bring any shame to the sport of professional wrestling. Neither one of them is married to a psycho bitch like Matt Hardy is, who calls out promoters no matter what's going on in the company. And uh, I also believe that the Young Bucks have won championships all over the world where the Hardys only win wherever it is that they go. Um, ROH, um, Impact, WWE. So you get my you get my drift here. CM Punk is then out to join commentary and in a very political but true t-shirt. And he is going to be watching the Adam Page versus... Takashita matchup. That that was hard to say. Very competitive match. Takashita showed off a ton of potential. This kid can definitely go and will be a threat in the future. Page let him get in his shots and then stunned him with a knee to the midsection and the buckshot lariat. Then to send a message to Punk, hit the GTS to get the win in 12 minutes. Very, very good matchup. Post-match, Punk and Page met on the aisleway and talked trash to one another before Page walked off. They continue to one-up one each other and make this match even more important, in my opinion. <clears throat> we then hear from Fuego del Sol, and he challenges the House of Black to one more six-man tag. He won't be alone. Evil Uno and Ten from the Dark Order will be his partners. All right, let's go. Shane Strickland, or Swerve as he is known as, and Keith Lee take on uh, the makeshift tag team of Henry and Jake, who are being called the Work Horsemen. Nice play on words there, guys. Uh, looks like an even matchup, but the squash uh, is in, and the Work Horsemen are being pummeled. Uh, double team powerbomb and double stomp get them to win in two and a half minutes. Uh, <clears throat> I understand getting a Swerve and Lee over, but... Why the squash and why on dynamite? Why not save that for Rampage? Post-match, Keith Lee cuts a promo in his home state of Texas to let them know they've reached the top five in the tag team division. This brings out Starks and Hobbs. Starks lets them know that he and Hobbs are next in line for the tag team titles. Swerve throws cracks, and this brings out Jurassic Express. Kristen tells Starks to shut up and says they're the best. He lays out a challenge for a three-way at double or nothing and makes a singles three-way between Jungle Boy, Swerve, and Ricky Starks for next week. 
Wow, that escalated very quickly. Tony Giovanni interviewed Red Velvet and Chris Statlander. They exchanged pleasantries, and Jade walks in for no reason to put Statlander down and tell Tony to cut the shit. Why? Why was this a segment? Why do they keep doing these horrible women's segments out of nowhere for no reason? It's a rampage match. We can I understand we have to promote it, but we don't need these horrible, bad segments in the middle of the show. MJF is out next, and he puts down Houston crowd. The Houston crowd, Wardlow comes out for his lashes, and Max begins. The belt lashes don't seem to be affecting Wardlow. So MJF hits a low blow, and he and Spears beat the hell out of the big guy. Spears hits his finisher uh, to end the segment and pins Wardlow with Max counting. Backstage, Rapungi Vice, Trent Beretta, and uh, Rocky Ramiro said that they are back together and have their eyes on the Ring of Honor, IWGP, and AEW Tag Team titles. They challenge FTR, and now we wait for the answer, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope that that does happen. Riley and Phoenix is next, an absolute war between these two, and neither would stop going. O'Reilly tried to lock in a submission, but Phoenix kept fighting back and taking it to the air. Phoenix went to the top and hit a splash, but it was countered by Kyle into an armbar, and Phoenix had to tap at the 14-minute mark. Kyle O'Reilly advances, and his chest looks like he was beaten worse than Wardlow was earlier. The Blackpool Combat Club, Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, and the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, make their way to the ring. Jericho begins to talk about last week. <laughs> he blames Regal and throws a cheap shot about Regal's past drug abuse and how he's been fired from every company that he's ever worked for. Regal fires back and tells Jericho he used to stick Jericho's toothbrush up his ass whenever Jericho was in the ring in WCW. Uh, Jericho is uh, about to challenge uh, them to a stadium stampede, but Moxley cuts him off and says, no, no way they're doing that shit. Mox challenges the JSA to a five-on-five anything-goes match. Jericho agrees and tries to break apart the BCC, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. This was a fun segment and helped to set up, hopefully, a great matchup. Seidel and, Mar- and uh, Dante Martin then challenged Mox and Danielson for a match on Rampage. Are these guys crazy? Have they not seen what Danielson and Mox have been doing to everybody they get in the ring with? Britt Baker is then in the ring, and she awaits the female Joker, and it is Mackie, the Japanese girl she teamed with a few months ago, who AEW had to quietly let go because they found out that she used to make poop fetish porn in Japan. Uh, Yeah, damn, these Jokers have been terrible. Mackie looks like she's going to lay down for Britt, but she tried for an inside cradle and didn't even get a one. They go back and forth for a bit, but Mackie makes a mistake. Britt locks into Lockjaw. And gets the win in nine minutes. Decent match here, but nothing to write home about. Post-match, Tony Storm comes out on the stage, much to the delight of JR. Britt flips her off, and we see the brackets for the women's Owen Hart tournament. Tony is in the ring and running down the card for double or nothing. Serena Deeb cuts him off and wants to question why he thinks Thunder Rosa can beat her. She calls out Dustin Rhodes and picks at him about being Thunder's friend and coach. This brings out Thunder Rosa. Deeb attacks the champion, getting the upper hand before their matchup before at double or nothing. I think this match will be great, but Deeb shouldn't be anywhere near a mic, in my opinion. She was stuttering and stammering. It, it just get her a mouthpiece or don't let her talk. Let her be Dean Malenko where he didn't touch the mic for weeks on end. 
We then go to our main event, and it is Jeff Hardy taking on Adam Cole. Cole attacks in the aisleway and beats down Jeff, despite Matt being right there. Uh, the match goes pretty even from then on with them a trading move or move here. Hardy fought back a couple of times, but Cole had it won more than once. Hardy went for the swanton, but Cole moved and then hit the boom to get the win in nine minutes. This at least needed twenty to uh, 15 to 20 minutes here. It was way too short. Post-match, the Bucks attacked the Hardys. Sting came to make the save, but Fish and O'Reilly took out Darby to distract Sting. A double super kick on Sting, and then a King Kong knee drop from the top destroyed the ankle of Sting, which was in a chair. I'm going to give this episode a 3.5 out of 5 dynamite this week. The matches were a little short, and some segments were pointless. The main event and JSA and Regal segment were excellent, but everything else seemed thrown together, especially with them going into double or nothing. And finally, we come to AEW Rampage. And we start off our show going right into the action as soon as we come on the air. We've got Fuego Del Sol, Uno, and Ten taking on the House of Black. This was a great back-and-forth match with both teams getting in some great-looking shots. Uno and Ten were highlighted throughout, but Fuego got taken out early. <coughs> Black used some impressive kicks and a submission to keep Ten down. In the end, Brody Lee hit a powerbomb turned into a pile driver to get the win in 11 minutes. Good opener. Post-match, Death Triangle showed up on the stage and brought out a tombstone with House of Black and Double or Nothing on it. Should be a great six-man tag. We hear from Billy Gunn, Max Caster, and the Ass Boys. Bones is injured and out, but they're waiting for him to return so they can scissor. What the fuck does that even mean anymore? Tony Schiavone is entering FTR, and they both let Repugnant Device know that they see them as a joke, but they accept the ROH tag title match for this Wednesday. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. FTR in action once again. Tag team action. I cannot wait. Sean Spears will be taking on a giant. So the giant that he will be facing is former NXT superstar Big Damo. And wow. I was expecting this to be a joke with a midget walking out or something like they've done many times in professional wrestling. But I'm glad to see Damo back on TV. Damo got in a couple of shots, but Spears took control and hit his DVD to get the win in three minutes. I didn't expect the squash, but it's to put Wardlow over in the end, so I'm not really complaining that much. Post-match Spears sends a message to Wardlow and says he's ready for the cage. We go backstage to hear from the Undisputed Elite. Cole and O'Reilly say it'll be them in finals, no matter what anybody else says, of the Owen Hart tournament. And the Bucks challenge the Hardys for a match double or nothing as well. I'd be very happy with both of those matches, to be honest with you guys. I hope you would too. Red Velvet then takes on Chris Statlander. Statlander went pure power in the early going and even pulled off a one-armed gorilla press slam. Velvet came back with an underhanded tactics, but Statlander kept fighting back. Red went for a kick. Statlander reversed it. Went for her finisher, but Red reversed it as well. And it got reversed one more time, so Statlander could pick up the roll-up win in 10 minutes. Very good matchup between these two. Post-match, Kira Hogan hit the ring. Beat down Stantlander. Ruby Soho tried to make the save, but Jade beat her down. And then Anna Jay finally made the save for Statlander and Soho. I'm smelling a six-woman tag match here, ladies and gentlemen. We see a vignette for Hook, Dan Housen, Tony Neese, and Mark Sterling. Uh, the show then shifts into the ring with Paige, Sky, and Dan Lambert. And they want back Sky's TNT title. 
Sammy and Taya show up on the screen and threaten to destroy the TNT title if they aren't given the match they want, which Lambert refuses, so they take a sledgehammer to the title. Kasarian joins in and hits the broken TNT title again, and we go to Tony Schiavone. Tony is again interviewing Britt Baker and Tony Storm. They'll meet in the semifinals, and this feud has been going on for three weeks, and they still aren't wrestling until next week, ladies and gentlemen. It's getting ridiculous. <clears throat> Mark Henry does the split screen of the competitors in our main event. He asks Dante Martin and Matt Seidel what they hope to achieve with this matchup, and they both say it's to get the biggest win of their career and change the landscape. Danielson says he intends to continue to be violent in the ring because it's working. Mox tells them to abandon all hope and get ready. Henry tells us it's time, but not before Jade Cargill and the baddies cut in uh, and tell Tony Schiavone to cut the shit. Jade challenges Anna Jay for the TBS title at Double or Nothing. Weird seeing the champion challenge challenger, uh, but that hopefully is going to be a good match. And I kind of hope Anna Jay wins because I'm tired of Jade as the TBS champion. Now it is main event time, and we have got Mox and Danielson taking on Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. Mox and Danielson attack immediately and take it to their, their opponents. Seidel and Martin fight back and hit a couple of high-risk moves to the ground on their opponents. We see a four-man brawl, and the BBC get the upper hand and pound down on Seidel and Martin. Mox hit, hit, hits his finisher, and they pick up the win in 13 minutes in a fantastic main event. Post-match, the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, attack Mox and Danielson, but Santana, Ortiz, and Kingston hit the stage as well, and we have got a 10-man brawl to end the show. I'm giving this week a 3 out of 5. Show was great, but the backstage stuff, promos, and the rest of the show did nothing for me in general. Uh, so great week of wrestling, not so much in the promo area or backstage stuff, as I said. It's okay, though. Things will get better. We're not that far from double or nothing or in your house. So keep a positive mind going into all these shows, ladies and gentlemen, because I surely am. Uh, that is going to do it for us here on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. Uh, I want to thank you guys for joining us. I want to thank you for continuing to reach out on Facebook uh, Messenger, as well as leaving comments on the Facebook page. And um, until next week. I promise you I will see you again on If You Smell what the arch is cooking.